0: All you poor workers, good news to you. I'll tell how they good old days.
4: If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.
2: Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the tennessee valley the spice radio studio in huntsville alabama the local stagehands union has a new contract the local iron workers union is hustling the biden administration makes some important changes for trade workers but he doesn't have a make gas expensive button we'll be talking about the real republican agenda on taxation and more On today's Valley Labor Report, if you want to be part of the program, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. And you can leave a voicemail throughout the week and we might answer it on the next show. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap on the radio or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. We're anywhere. You can find anything online, all at the Valley Labor Report. All of our shows are, uh, are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube. We upload everything as a podcast and we clip all of the segments of the show and upload it as its own individual videos on our YouTube channel. Right. So like, okay, look, maybe you're not interested in the local stagehands new contract, but you're interested in seeing that the Republicans in D.C. are literally trying to raise taxes on poor folks. Maybe you're more interested in that. Well, you can just watch that video on our YouTube channel. So that's always an option, right? So uh, go make sure you're following us everywhere online. Uh, That is all everywhere. It's uh, The Valley Labor Report. We've also got a website, tvlr.fm. Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So... That's no joke uh, when we say that listener funding is very important to keeping us on the radio. If you want to become a sustaining member of the program, if you want to make a one-time donation or buy our new hat, throw that up for them to see on the stream, Adam, you can go to tvlr.fm. Go to our online store and you can make a donation. You can become a sustaining member. You can buy a hat all at tvlr.fm or uh, you can make a monthly donation on patreon.com slash Report. If you're a member of a union, you should get your local to sponsor the show. We've got several local unions that sponsor the show and, of course, their support of the show is instrumental in keeping us on the air as well, so you can reach out to me for more details on that. Um... Let's get this one out of the way before we bring Bob on. Bob is vice president of the stagehands union here in Huntsville. Um, he's going to be talking to us here in a second about uh, about their new contract. But let's get this story out of the way um, because it's pretty funny. Adam is going to be really happy to hear that I believe that the state of public education in Alabama may be a bit safer than we had first imagined Because the Dale Jackson last week revealed what he believed to be the best argument for school privatization. I can't wait. Okay. So I have told Adam not to read this story that I linked in our show notes. And I did that on the honor system. I did not read it. I promise you. And that's... And you know, maybe it's just because he's lazy and he doesn't do any prep work. It's but, very um. possible. It's very possible.
0: <laughs> Those notes were checked before nine thirty, though. Uh, there just you not go. that link. There you go. So, what is
2: Dale Jackson's best argument for school privatization? Right, and you should, you know, school privatization. That's a big, you know, th- this is a big deal, right? You you should have a good argument if you're going to privatize education in this country. If you're going to advocate that, you know, we send public dollars to private hands, like you should have a good argument, right? So this You is, would think. You, you would think. You would think. So here's what. Uh sometimes kids are weird. No. Yeah. That's the really that's the whole thing. Oh, that, that's that's the whole thing is that sometimes breaking breaking news. Sometimes kids are weird. So you should be able to funnel public dollars into your friends pockets. That's that's the thing. A Meade County School District in Kentucky is dealing with an unusual situation. A group of high school students is attending school acting like and dressing like cats really yeah and so Dale said that this is the best argument for school privatization uh, that he can think of so um so yeah that's that's the whole thing is that there's some kids that are that are coming to school with like
0: cat ears oh and so uh yeah seems like a pressing emergency <laughs> Uh if that's the if that is the the single best argument for privatization, yeah, yes, I, mean, I feel I feel, I feel, I feel much better about our chances. I think we'll be able to defend education for all kids if that's what we're up against. Yeah, yep. even the weird kids, even even the, even the cat-eared kids. You know what? <laughs> they need reading and writing and arithmetic.
2: Oh man! But it, uh, but but now you haven't heard all of it. It does make it so. There's this grandmother
0: who's quoted in the article. Is this real news? Is there, or is this like some fake news? No, no, they... I'm
2: talking. This is real news. Okay. This is a, this is out of W L K Y in Kentucky. Okay, out of Louisville, Kentucky. This is a local news station. There's a Mead County school district that literally there was an article written about. There are some students dressing like cats, and this is slow this news day news. up there in Kentucky. Yeah, slow news day. Um, but and and there was like a petition for the school district to do something about it, and and a uh, grandmother. A grandmother was quoted saying, quote, the students are told they can't wear hats or Budweiser shirts in school. So this is serious. But they can wear cat ears, cat tails and leashes. It doesn't make sense.
0: Well, all then. OK, yeah. uh, not much happening up there. If that's the biggest uh, community <laughs> issue you have, if you're out there. Beating the pavement to get some signatures on that petition. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to guess that's a, primarily a Facebook outrage kind of oh, scenario. Oh, yeah, Of course. Of
2: course. Now, you know, when I called him on this, you know, I, on Twitter, I was like, oh, well, you know, I, I said basically what I'm saying now that, oh, well, maybe... Maybe public education is safe if this is the best. <laughs> right. And he was like, this is obviously hyperbole. Jake is
4: obviously hyperbole.
0: And, um, as is like 99% of what they say. Right,
2: right, of course. You know, you, you, you they make these, uh, and, you know, look, I don't doubt that he doesn't actually think that this is the best argument, but he, do- I'm sure he does think that this is an argument. And on, you know, on a, like, None of the other just just for the record we we did a we did a big breakdown on school privatization a couple of weeks ago. You can uh, find that on our youtube channel um where Adam talked about it and and we talked about some of the stats and it's, and it really was amazing the more that I dug into it how bad just how bad it is in other states that have implemented these school voucher programs because in other states that have implemented these school voucher programs the students that make use of the vouchers don't even see increased test scores. Like, that's how bad it... It doesn't even... The 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 argument, right, for school privatization is that, oh, well, you know, maybe it's going to doom an entire community to terrible education for decades, but at least a couple of individual families will have better education for it. But that, according to these studies, and according to, to most of the literature that claim is even dubious that the people who who you go to these charter schools where there are CEOs raking in public dollars even those students that take advantage of that um they don't get any benefit from it right, right? so so the, the the obvious if you're actually concerned with increasing you know, making education better in Alabama, it's going to be making public education better, not privatizing the school district. But on a serious note, though, on this this specific argument about, oh, sometimes kids are weird, so I should be able to take public dollars to put my student in a private school. Um, I mean, that is similar to privatization arguments that have been Put out in the past. Right. right. I, mean, oh, I mean,
0: segregation is, exactly. is intertwined into the entire school privatization movement and, and arguments. Exactly. Segregation I, I mean, the, the, by, the, the, by race, by class, by right, gender, right, by religion. Right. So it does speak to that, you know, cultural ph- phenomena that the privatizers prey on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's
2: a lot of the first charter schools and, and private schools in the South were literally segregation academies, right? Like everybody was on board with public education and then black folks were able to um, were able to attend public schools. And so literally uh, all across the South, all of these private schools and uh, were were chartered so that white students wouldn't have to go to school with black folks so that so that People could segregate their students, their special snowflake students from from the poors and the, you know, the untouchables and and the weird kids. Right. And so this, you know, so of course, this isn't like as serious as segregation, but there is there is like a kernel of like. There's historical precedents here like, oh, right. I don't I don't want my kids associating with the normal people. I want my kids associating with with other special people that are more like me, uh, you know, economically and socially and racially and all this stuff.
0: Yeah. Also, I mean, this is definitely a less serious part of it, but uh, it's as if private schools don't have weird kids. Because last I checked, right. there, there's plenty of weird kids in private schools, too. Uh, adolescence is a weird time in human beings' development. They're going to be weird. They're going to be strange. Mm-hmm. They're going to do things that uh, you don't like or that make you uncomfortable as a grown-up. That's, <laughs> uh, that's part of the human experience. And yep. no amount of funneling public dollars into your private pockets is going to fix that. It's going to is gonna change that. If anything, it'll make it worse. Exactly. Exactly. Um so have we got Bob in the on the line? We do have Bob, Bob, Bob is, is a well Bob is line. a All right. on his way in the zoom here. Okay. Well so so
2: um the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees Moving Picture Technicians Artists and Allied Cla- Crafts of the United States its territories and Canada IATSE was founded in 1893 and today represents more than 150,000 working people in virtually all arts, media and entertainment crafts. Bob McManus is the vice president for IATSE Local 900 and vice president for the North Alabama Labor Council here in Huntsville. Uh, Bob, thanks for taking the time to join us this morning. I appreciate it.
3: Well, thank you, Jacob. I want to thank you and Adam for having me on the show. I always say the biggest benefit of a union offers workers is a voice. And you guys are certainly amplifying ours right now. Oh yeah, Appreciate absolutely.
2: It. We're uh we're really happy to have you on. Been wanting to do it for a while and uh your your new contract is is a good reason to have you on. Um before before we get into that though, can you talk to us about like talk to us about your, you know, the uh your background, like how long you've been in IOTC? what got you involved, uh, you know, why why is why is it such like a uh, you know, a big part of of your life?
3: Well, f- for us the uh, our our union is is almost like a guild. It we we get all our work through the union, and we rely on the union to, to train people and to uh uh you know to to forward our craft. So it becomes a part of your life immediately when you become a stagehand, and it it all the benefits that the union offers. It, it's just for, for me. it's always been, uh, I guess what you might call the, you know, the the fun part of work. We, uh, I got involved in unions very early. When I was in college, I studied, uh, business at the Citadel and I became familiar with unions then and just kind of got involved in the cause and just really jumped on board when I became a stagehand, um, it's 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 a great way of life. Uh, you know, uh, we uh, we we strive off the things that the union offers us. And it's it's just a great way of life. You guys are all I'm sure aware of that.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And that's uh, that's part of why we're glad you're you're on the show this morning just to share your testimony, because I think that's always important to hear from folks who've been involved in unions about you know what what motivated them and, and how the union has helped their life and benefited their family
3: for me in college i i was uh, I, I was in a very conservative business environment our business school and m- most of us had were developing negative attitudes towards unions based on you know the things that our instructors were teaching us but i had the, the good fortune So of wait you didn't
2: into- have like crazy liberal marxist
0: professors in college
3: just one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's always at least one. I mean, that's fine. It only takes one, right?
3: <laughs> uh, yeah. We, he, we, we did have one professor who, who allowed us to speak. And, uh, <laughs> but for me, I, I, you know, I, I, re- I met an old lady one night who, was, uh, who had a really bad scar on her shoulder, which matches one of mine. I broke my collarbone one time. It was very painful. And I asked her how it happened. And she told me a story that just blew my mind. The um, she was working in a in a mill in in South Carolina and a union organizers came down and she went out and met with a few of the union organizers and and basically got accosted by the Pinkertons and beat up and left for dead. And she she changed my attitude about unions that night. And it's you know, I've been pushing for that cause ever since. I mean, when she described the way the Pinkertons were handling the, the union in in the forties, it, it, you know, I just never got over that. You know what I mean? I, I knew what side I was on clearly. Mm. So, you know, the opportunity that I actually gave me was the opportunity to take that, you know, the passion that developed that day and, and go forward with it. And, and, we always take every opportunity we get to spread good news. And really that's why I'm on the show today. We, 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 we are having success here in Huntsville and we are proving to uh, the city and our other employers, you know, how valuable the unions can be.
2: Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's shift to the, um, to, to the local situation here with the stagehands y'all have like about a hundred members around here, right?
3: Yeah, we're getting close to that. As soon as we get Adam and a few others on board, we will be at 100. We've got, we got a membership drive that's coming up because, like a lot of uh, locals, we're having a, <clears throat> a labor shortage. The pandemic left us completely out of work for over a year and a half because we just couldn't have events in an environment like that. But we're yeah. coming back really strong. We have several new contracts, which we're just absolutely thrilled with. Most importantly, with the Von Braun Center, which has been our primary employer since uh, around 1976. But really, for the first time that I'm aware of, the a city entity has recognized the value and effectiveness of the union model. We also got, uh, we went to visit this week and we we're signing a new contract with the Orion Amphitheater, mm-hmm. uh, which is a beautiful new facility. Um, we all, we've all we been over there touring twice and uh, we're getting ramped up for shows. They're going to have an amazing schedule starting this summer. Oh, yeah, and, fantastic. And also getting calls from Toyota Field. So, you know, it's yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. we went from having no work at all during the pandemic and um, to where we are now, which is just total, you know, shortage of labor on mm-hmm. hand. Right, right. Yeah, well, we'll talk the
2: the the way that y'all, you know, so the, the way that y'all operate is more like a trade union than a lot of folks are like most folks are used to, you know, they have one employer and they go every day. And, and that's and can you talk to us about like how your jobs are, are kind of allocated and, and your contractors and, and how, how, how do stagehand union members in Huntsville get work?
3: Okay, yeah, that's that's a it, it is a unique model. We we it's it's called a, a referral hall, and that I actually runs a referral hall here in Huntsville. Um, some people refer to it as a hiring hall, but basically, uh, you know, this is a right to work state, so union members and non union members all go into the same pool, and when we get requests for labor, we we choose you know, the individuals on that list who have the most experience or who are the best suited for the job. And then that's how job assignments are made. So, for example, uh, this afternoon I'm doing a show for Graham Nash at the Mars Music Hall. You know, they needed a a small crew, a steward, and, you know, four hands to get a small band in there. And so, you know, we go to the list and we look at, you know, the the best available and we assign, you know, to those positions and then the list rotates. So, you know, Mm -hmm. so that, you know, each member and each referral, you know, gets gets positions as they become available. Right, so, right and adam and adam, adam's come to work for us here recently a little bit and mm-hmm. he, he's looking at it from one end and i'm looking at it from the other you know right. he, he may have a a perspective of what it's like to be a stage hand at his level too it's uh it's it's hard work sometimes but it's yeah, well, also yeah oh, well ahead, talk adam. to us
2: about the, the the actual the work that you do you know like um uh People, a lot of times, you know, they go to shows and I I don't think that they really appreciate how much work actually goes into putting these things together and and how dangerous it can actually be. Talk to us about some of the work that y'all are doing and going to be doing at the VBC and and the Orion Amphitheater and Toyota Field and stuff like that.
3: Okay, well, we have different departments. All all of our, uh, for example... Our union is what's called a mixed local. We have all the skill sets covered under one local. Uh, on a, on an average show, uh, for example, you know Adam is pushing cases in, and and I'm and I'm what I do. I'm, I'm a rigger. I take the uh, uh, all that heavy equipment, the lights, the sound, and everything, and we hang it from the ceiling. And by that, I mean we physically climb up into the ceiling, we lower a rope down, we pull chains up, and we we hang all that equipment. Most of your listeners probably are aware of the halftime show at the Super Bowl. It took Mm -hmm. 600 stagehands. It took 600 people working behind the scenes to get that show in and get it on and get it back out the door all during beer commercials. So, right. you know, it <laughs> yeah. was, uh, so, it's that's a good example of what yeah. we do. Um, f- locally, what we do basically is is we bring them in in the morning, you know, six trucks roll in for the average show. We unload those six trucks. We put all that stuff. We hang it from the ceiling, you know, 60,000, 80,000 pounds worth of uh, lights, trusses, uh, speakers, uh, that kind of thing. And then we have a show, and you know, if it's Elton John, it's it's really big. If it's Reba, mm-hmm. it's absolutely huge. But if it's Graham Nash, it's me and four other guys, and, and you know, a couple of, couple of gals, and we get it in, and we get it out, and the same amount of time. So the uh, how dangerous can it be? Look, well, it, it can be extremely dangerous. There's a lot of heavy equipment moving all the time. There's forklifts driving around. There's Guys like me up in the ceiling who are scared to death of dropping something, uh, but the show must go on, and it almost always does.
2: <laughs> right, right. Well, the uh, you know we had uh, David is is in the chat, and he asked, you know. To to speak about the the quality of the performances and how IATSE labor affects that, because you, you know, and you mentioned that that the city and the VBC and and all these people are kind of starting to realize the value that having the the good union labor on these performances, um, the the value that y'all provide. Just can you, can you talk to us about why the the why they're seeing that value and and how your work does affect the quality of, of, of shows. You know, David said that he's never been to a bad performance at the VBC ever. And, and, you know, that's because of, of course, because of the performing artists, but because of all the prep work that y'all do, too.
3: Oh, absolutely. It all comes down to training. You know, it comes down to uh, enjoying the work that you're doing. Uh, one of the things that the union is very good at is recognizing skills in individuals and promoting those skills, which is what makes us so effective, you know, rather than, you know, finding a job somewhere and adapting yourself to that job, we kind of get behind people and push and it, uh, it, it's a model that works very well with creative people. Uh, we don't, uh, ask people to do things they don't like to do. Uh, if you're not comfortable in the back of a truck, well, we're not going to leave you in the back of the truck. Well, will you know, we'll find something else for you to do. Right. Um, the, the reason why unions are more effective quite simply at, at what we do is because of the way we train our people and the way we promote their best interest at all times. And so if, uh, if uh, if I'm not scared of heights and, you know, I, I like being up in the ceiling, well, that's where I'm going to be. We, we call everybody has what they call their happy place. Mm. And, and that's, you know, we refer to it as such. And if everybody's standing in their happy place, then the show is going to be much better than if, right. you know, it, so to answer David's question, it's quite simply, it's, It's the way we train our people and it's the way we promote their interest.
0: Yeah, and I I can testify to that, too, having uh, started working there a little bit and still very green. But I got to say the team environment that is there makes such a difference. Everybody's looking out for each other. Uh, If you know you're still learning things, folks are, are great to show you the ropes literally and figuratively. And and I think that makes such a huge difference. And and I got to say how I, much I enjoy doing the work. And and you're right, Jacob. The the amount of labor that goes into these performances, whether it's rock bands or, or the Broadway theater league shows that you hear about, or even just some of the expos that happen down at the uh, VBC, it's it's amazing. It is amazing to see uh, truckloads of, of crates become. An elaborate set, you know, and it, it just it's its amazing to see what, what our workers can do. And I think that's a it's a different style of workplace, you know, that the all in as a team model. And, and I got to say, I really enjoy it. So for folks out there and I'm sure y'all are going to get to this. But if there's folks locally who are you know interested in picking up some work, check it out. Uh, I enjoy it a lot. Uh, it can be physically demanding. I know I've been sore in places. Uh, I haven't been sore in, it in a long time, uh, but it's it's so cool to see the start to finish. It's it's an amazing experience. So, uh, you know, can only echo Bob's comments there.
2: Yeah, and and, and talk to us about the talk to us about the new contract. You know, you've got this new contract with the VBC and and you're working on sounds like a contract with Toyota Field and and Orion. Um and and you said that you've been able to get this new contract because they are beginning to kind of recognize the value that you that that y'all bring to the table. Uh what what is in this new contract that's better than the one you had before and and um j- talk to us about talk to us about that.
3: Okay, well, basically here in Huntsville that we've always been some of the lowest-paid stagehands in the nation. In fact, in, you know the southeast as a whole has always lagged behind, and Chattanooga and Huntsville were always just at the bottom of that list. We managed now to get a contract that is very similar to contracts in Birmingham, uh, Atlanta, Nashville, and other places, which basically offer a living wage or what we consider to be closer to a living wage than than we had before. As you know, companies like Amazon have spent billions of dollars convincing the general public that $15 an hour is a living wage. Uh, we introduced that as a as a starting point for uh, discussion, but now it seemed to have become this standard that that's a living wage, but anyone who's ever tried to live on $15 dollars an hour can tell you that right. uh, it's not. We now start around 19,20 dollars an hour, and we go up from there, depending on your skill set and, and you know that kind of thing. But we, where we are now is basically, you know, in line with the rest of the southeast which you know, still lags behind the rest of the nation when it comes to our earning potential. But we at least feel like now we have protections uh, in the workplace that we haven't had before. We have, under this new contract, we have a, uh, a bigger hand in uh, safety in the workplace, mm-hmm. which, as you know, uh, unions are champions in that arena. Uh, it's so... Much easier for me to stand up there and preach safety and, than it is for you know someone who has to sign the checks or someone who never never on the stage you know I mean like a lot of right. places you have managers who are making decisions on safety who don't partake in the daily activities and
0: may have never that's done where the unions words, come in I mean yeah.
3: we we should take the lead we uh, we should take the lead in those areas but. And we I think we for- face the same problems that all unions face, and you, you, you know better than we do that all labor unions are under assault with policies across the nation undermining workers' collective bargaining rights, stripping union workers of wages, benefits, stuff we deserve. And like all union folks, it's our our job to fight to strengthen the federal labor laws and protect the. Right to organize and, and mm-hmm. unions, hey, we have the right to organize and bargain for higher wages and, and better benefits. And for us, that that's becoming a reality. Yeah, that's, so, that's great. What were, what were you about to say, Adam?
0: Well, I think as Huntsville, you know, pivots to being a, a big entertainment city here in the southeast and and bringing in, uh, you know, a music industry presence here, I think it it really it's it's such a great timing to see this, mm. uh, because, you know, all these fantastic shows that are coming in to Huntsville over the next year, great great artists. I mean, some of my favorite bands. I, I think, you know, you name name any genre and there's a good group coming through. But I think it's important that it be good union labor that is putting these shows on and that uh, the folks who are putting these shows on can live a good life and have the safety and wages they deserve. So that's – it's right on time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Bob we really we really appreciate your uh, uh your time if this sounds interesting let's say there's a listener out there that's like oh man starting at 19 dollars an hour uh prepping for shows at the VBC the Orion Amphitheater the uh Toyota Field that sounds interesting maybe I want to do that how do they how do they get in touch with you
3: Well they can they can call our business agent uh at 256 690 one six two two her name is kelly and she will take your information and hopefully uh start you down the path like uh that 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 i went on and and, and adam is on now it's it's a, it's a great it's a great way to make a, a living and it's a great bunch of folks to work with
2: awesome bob thank thank you so much for taking the time i appreciate it thank you jacob see you later all right Uh, Yeah, so we've been talking about some of the best arguments for school privatization and why they are bunk. We've been talking to Bob from the Stagehands Union about their new contract with the VBC. If you've missed any of that... No worries, no worries at all. The program is available online on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can search for The Valley Labor Report wherever you find content online, and you can listen to whatever part of the show that you missed. We're going to take a really quick break. On on the other side, we're going to be talking to the Ironworkers, Local 477, about some of the work that they've got going on and about some of the ways the Biden administration has been helping trade workers so you don't want to miss it, don't change the channel. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report labor report. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report.
1: IBW 558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice.
2: Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know how viable clean and renewable energy is. And to that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to Thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K 12 students across the state, and they are working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about their work and how you can join at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855 617 9-3-3-3. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855 617 9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms.
0: Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org.
2: Labor creates all wealth, and you are listening to the Valley Labor report my name is jacob morrison my co-host is adam keller if you've got anything to add you can give us a call the phone number is 844-899-TVLR tvlr thats is 844-899-8857 and you can leave us a voicemail throughout the week we might uh, play it on the next Program The International Association of Bridge, Structural, Ornamental, and Reinforcing Ironworkers Union represents 120,000 members in North America. Members of the ironworkers have worked on nearly every major construction project you can think of. The Golden Gate Bridge, the Sears Tower, the St. Louis Arch, the Oil Sands Plant Expansion in Alberta, the World Trade Center, and the Freedom Tower. And the Ironworkers Local 477 represents hundreds of workers here in North Alabama, and we've got the business representative on the line with us now, Eddie Mitchell. Thanks for your time, I appreciate it.
4: Good morning, like you.
2: Absolutely, absolutely glad to have you on. Uh, so, Eddie, we're we're going to be talking about some of you know some of the stuff y'all got going on locally, but first, there's some things going on nationally with the trades. That are really uh, that are really pretty important and, and, and pretty good. Um, and one of those being the uh, <clears throat> the Biden administration is proposing reforms to the uh, to the enforcement of the Davis Bacon Act. So can you start off by explaining what the Davis Bacon Act is and what it does now?
4: Um, the Davis Bacon Act was created by two lawyers, or uh, they were either lawyers or representatives, Davis and Bacon, and it uh, it sets a prevailing wage, or it's uh, anything with federal funding. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's over two thousand dollars is what it throws into being a Davis Bacon wage job, and then the Davis Bacon wage will be based off whoever prevails in that area
2: gotcha gotcha and and so what what does that mean who prevails in the area
4: it it's not always the union most of the time it's the union wage and um but it's not always that's we talked the other day that's one reason that we need um, a survey done in Huntsville area because we've had so much work in the past several years that I'm I feel like we'll probably prevail there at this point and mm-hmm. something to note is if uh, if it's an onion, iron worker, pipe fitter, whatever, if they're working on the Davis bacon job, mm. then they have to put all of the money on their check or benefits included unless they have a defined benefits contribution plan. And that's not payroll deductible. Um, so.
2: Right. And so the so the Davis bacon sets it sets a prevailing wage on, on Davis bacon jobs and, and the wage. It it incorporates, you know, you've got the... I mean, there's a spreadsheet. You can go and look at Davis-Bacon wages in different areas, and you've got this one column that has the wages, and maybe that's $20 an hour, and then you've got another... That has your uh, benefits, and maybe that's another 20 dollars an hour, and that would be things like you know paid leave or, or defined pensions and health care and things like this. And so you're saying that if a worker is working for a contractor that does not offer a pension and health care and things like this, they have to lump everything into the wage, right So if you're combined you know if you've got your, the, a Davis bacon wage sets twenty dollars an hour plus another twenty dollars an hour in benefits, if you don't have any benefits the contractor has to pay you $40 an hour. Is that right? That is correct. So how is that enforced right now? Like, how has that been enforced?
4: It is uh, enforced by the Department of Labor, and it's usually very poorly enforced. If uh, if I've got somebody's check stub and they're willing to honestly talk to someone with a DOL, usually I can get them, get them paid back. They'll, you know, they'll go back and pay Pay what they were supposed to pay, but I mean, just me, calling doesn't doesn't get it like it needs to. Um, but some of the some of the changes that are going to be happening, they're going to give the Davis Bacon more teeth, so to right. speak. They're going to make it, uh, they're going to make it stronger, and uh, it it needs to be changed. And it, they're going to also speed it up to where the Davis Bacon wage is actually going to keep up with the wage in the area. Like right now, the Davis Bacon wage for for an iron worker at Madison County's and I think it's it's less than 30 bucks an hour and there's plenty of people making way more than 30 bucks an hour doing ironworking hustle. so
2: right right 30 bucks an hour um including benefits or just the wage
4: well m- most our our scale's 29 plus benefits so it's it's around 45 46 dollars an hour total package but there's some open shop guys that are making 30 32 up there thirty so, 32
2: uh, total package
4: yeah or yeah yeah thirty 32 dollars yeah. an hour
2: yeah. And, and so the the way that it's the way that the wage is set is like a is the Davis-Bacon wages set is like a survey of, you know, what are the wages and, and in the area? And so we're going to kind of set it somewhere in there, maybe towards the, the higher end or, or whatever. And one of the reasons that you're saying that it's so low is because it's been so long since a survey has been done. In Huntsville, So, you know, you're not accounting for inflation. You're not accounting for, um, you know, maybe maybe workers having more leverage and and getting better wages that way. You're not accounting for all these changes in the environment. And so the Davis-Bacon wage is actually lower in a lot of cases than some people are are, are getting. And, and so it needs to be updated. And the yeah. these proposed reforms are going to do these updates more often.
4: Yeah. And I don't think it's been just like. It ain't been ten years since we've had a survey, but um, the last survey I don't think we prevailed there. So again, that's why the the rate's so cheap. And if a contractor that works say at Redstone all the time, it's open shop when it comes time for them to uh, turn in what they're paying. Of course, they're going to turn in as little as they can to keep the wage as low as they can. So
2: right, right. And you, um, you know, you were talking yesterday about the. When, when when we spoke on the phone about the enforcement and how and how difficult it is to actually get it enforced, um, and and you know you 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 would say things about how you know you can't actually get people back wages unless they're willing. To work with you right like if you go on to a if you go onto a work site and you know you're talking to somebody and you're able to figure out like oh this guy is being underpaid like he's being illegally underpaid and we can get him back wages we can get her back wages you can't actually do that if they're not willing to work with you if they're not willing to help help get you the evidence and and they might not be willing to do that because they fear rightly that their boss might retaliate
4: against them right 100 percent that's correct and, and and when you say work with us they don't have to join the union for me to help them there's plenty of guys that i that i know and still talk to that are that are open shop and they for whatever reason they're they're they stay where they're at but if they get on the davis bacon job they always call me and say hey what am i supposed to be making on my check here and i'll i'll pull it up and send it to them and and i've i've got some of those guys back paid on a uh, on a job in hillsborough they did a water treatment plant and they uh a local contractor here hung the building and uh, they paid them guys way under Davis bacon rate. So I help them get, get back paid. We've got a, a guy with our international department, Christopher Berger, that that's all he deals with is uh, Davis bacon stuff. And he's pretty good. If, usually if we can get him on the phone, he'll, uh, he'll run it from the top down instead of me running it from Alabama, he'll go through DC and push it all the way down and it gets better results.
2: And the, um, and y'all do that because, one because you know as a un- as as union folks as as working folks right you want to you know the part of the labor movement part of the part of the uh, of the, the driving force there is to increase the material conditions to make better the material conditions of like all working people but also because there's you know if you've got a contractor that's routinely undercutting the Davis Bacon wages, then they can bid lower, and they can they can take projects, you, you know, they can take projects away from y'all's contractors, away from the union contractors, because they're illegally underpaying their workers, right?
4: Yeah, one hundred percent. And if you know, I feel like if we're not doing something like that to help run it down, then, then we're not helping our contractors, and they're the lifeblood of our union, just as are our members. But without contractors, we don't have a pay a payroll coming in, so.
2: Right, Right. And, and one of the, uh, one of the things that, that contractors will do, that the non-union contractors will do to um, to make it difficult for, the workers and and for their allies like in in unions that maybe they're not even a part of to enforce David Bacon Davis Bacon wages uh, the the Davis Bacon wages and protections and things like that is that they'll hire undocumented immigrants and the undocumented immigrants of course you know they've got the there's like a compounding element of fear for them in Fighting against their boss because you know you've got the normal fear that anybody's going to have like oh if if i retaliate or or if i if i fight against the boss for their mistreatment of me maybe i get fired if you're an undocumented immigrant you're not only going to get fired you could be deported right i mean it it, that's something that you've talked that that you've had to deal with on on multiple occasions where contractors are abusing these these folks and and then by proxy abusing the you know the the u.s workers right
4: yes and well not only that, but there's also the language barrier there. And then if they're not just directly stealing the wages from their employees by underpaying them, a lot of times they'll also misclassify them. They'll list a iron worker as a laborer or something like that where the mm-hmm. where the negotiated rate is considerably lower. And that's another way that they steal money. And, that, and that's something else that we do is we go after that and we prove where they're being misclassified. So.
2: And so how are the proposed reforms to the Davis-Bacon wages how is that going to help workers feel safer in reporting employer misconduct? Is there anything specifically addressing those concerns in these proposed reforms?
4: Yeah, yeah they're, they were going strengthen, to um, strengthen to where there would be less retaliation or go after those contractors that retaliate. Um, and like I said earlier, they're going to also speed up the – speed up – what they're doing so that the rate is more current instead of the rate now is what was paying five or 10 years ago. You know, that's, that's with inflation. Like you said, that's, it's not even keeping up with the times.
0: Right. Right. Those both seem common sense, but very, very necessary. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, And and Davis bacon is not a bad thing. It, It eliminated the race to the bottom is what it did. And it leveled the playing field as far as all contractors to work. You're not getting the project based on cheap labor. You're getting the project because you know, the labor rate's the same. So right. it, it eliminates that. And that's that's a good thing for, for all contractors, whether it's an open shop contractor or a union contractor.
2: And it's good for the customers. It's good for the customers because they're going to get better work because they're not going to be awarding just based on, on who's going to give me the, the lowest, the cheapest price. They're going to get better work for it. Correct. So the, the next uh, the, the other thing that the Biden administration has done that's that's going to be affecting trade workers is the project is is the expansion of the use of project labor agreements by the federal government. So what for, first off, what is a project labor agreement? What, what is that? What does that do? What does that mean?
4: It is a it's an agreement um, between the customer or the end user and uh there that's where it drives from and it's it usually sets a a certain uh, wage rate which is oftentimes higher than davis bacon it uh the last one that we had up here at toyota Mazda, it also created a, a stipulation where you had to hire a local labor pool and um you had to exhaust all resources here to hire local labor and then you know if there was unavailable then of course you could bring in and there was a percentage i think you could The contractor came from out of state or out of town. They could bring twenty percent of their own workforce, but you had to hire eighty percent local. So it kept the money here in our local economy, and that's that's important to me. It's uh, I hate seeing out of state plates hanging hospitals and stuff like that because I know that money's leaving.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that seems again, just like Adam said, that seems like super common sense. But and and you mentioned Toyota, Mazda. And you said that um, that Governor Ivy tried to get Toyota Mazda to not agree to a project labor agreement that to, is and, and to that, use out of state workers to do the plant.
4: Well, yeah, there was, there was there was not enough local workers here to or not enough open shop local workers here to cover that entire project. So they would have definitely had to outsource it out of state. But um, yeah, that's. That is correct. That's what it, that you know that goes against our own constituents, and it doesn't matter yeah. whether you're union non-union at that point. Um, if it would not have been a public, there were non-union contractors there, but they had to pay the negotiated rate. At least they could pay more, but they had to pay at least that negotiated rate. So it benefits everybody: open shop or union workers.
2: Right, right. And 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 that's I mean, that's just amazing to me that, that she was pushing Toyota Mazda to not to to try to make sure that they, that they only use non-union labor to the point of being willing to import out of state workers uh, to instead of using Alabama
0: union members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's not surprising, but it definitely bothers me big time why wouldn't you want why wouldn't you want the money to stay right here in your own community uh you know with workers who are living here paying taxes here it it just i guess it makes too much sense
4: yeah yeah in, in, in to, to, the, me there's, to me there's a big difference a lot of your politicians are pro union a lot of them are are non union and a lot of them are anti union um I have a problem with the anti union ones but i don't i don't not necessarily have a problem with the non union you know the people that aren't beating their chests and screaming union um, right. because they have to support all constituents. But uh, you know we're here to help everybody, and, and that's that's the message that's got to get out there. We're not here to hurt a contractor. I mean, there's there's open shop contractors and hustle that right now we're, we're helping supplement their labor force, and uh, mm-hmm. and we've got a great relationship with those people. It just took about three years for them to realize that we're not the we're not the bad guys. If we can help you, we will. If we can't, we won't hurt you. You know, it's a right
2: and the the project labor agreements also guarantee a, uh, a utilization of apprenticeships and safety standards. can you talk about can you talk about some of that?
4: absolutely that's uh, that's huge that's huge for us and again the uh, the apprenticeship it, it doesn't guarantee it to be a union job, but it makes it really hard for an open shop contractor and because most of them do not have a certified or accredited or registered apprenticeship program so. By us using apprenticeship programs, we guarantee you that that training, that third party training, is available. It's free to the contractor. It's uh, it keeps growing the skill set here. It keeps the people here that can do the work, so that we don't wind up having to outsource every bit of it to get it done. You know, it's a uh, mm-hmm. we, we strengthen our local labor force. When we do that, we grow our local economy. We uh, it's it's good for everybody. Right,
2: right. And so the what the Biden administration did, he signed an executive order. After an iron workers local union hall. I believe it was in D.C. maybe um, to to increase the use of project labor agreements. Can can, talk to us about that and and what that executive order does.
4: The executive order was anything with thirty five million dollars of federal funding would be a project labor agreement. And that's huge. That's really big for us. That's uh, I can't think of a way to guarantee uh, better working conditions and better pay for anybody than than doing that. That's uh in my lifetime. That's the that's the best thing any elected official that I know of has done for the way I make a living. And and also it helps everybody. Like I said, it's
0: yeah. It's it's looking at ways to grow the economy from the bottom up. And so I think that's mm-hmm. that's a great development.
2: And again, I mean, it's just so common sense. If we're using taxpayer dollars we should be tying strings to that. We should be saying like, look, you've got to pay a good wage. You've got to have good, you've got to have safe working conditions. You've got to have people who know what the hell they're doing. You right. know, you've got to have people that have trained. I mean, this is, this just, is just, why would you not, why would you not want this? It doesn't make any
4: sense. Well, and you know, and this is, and I keep going back to, it's, it's not a, it's not a bad thing for open shop contractors because if, Right. Like if, if you were an open shop contractor right now and you were going to do a job at Redstone, it had 35 million in federal funding and it was a project labor agreement. I mean, you could literally call the, the wage rates already established. It doesn't matter who you pay, whether it's your guys or our guys, the wage rates to be the same. You, you can call us, we've got the training or the guys that are trained. It's, um, it's great for everybody. You know, it's, uh, it, right. and and it, and it, they should be utilizing local contractors. That's, that's what I want to stress is like, again, the the PLA is going to help all local contractors.
2: Right, right, right. Well, so let's uh, uh, let's go ahead and, and move to here locally. Um, you know, uh, uh, the local four seventy seven. Uh, y'all are a sponsor of the show. We appreciate that, and and y'all've got a lot of y'all are doing a lot of work. Y'all are reeling out really out there. Um, y- you know, getting stuff done, and and so let's. Wh- talk to us about how the jobs actually work for trade unions we talked about Bob we talked to Bob about this a bit ago because the stage hands um, stage hands are, are operate pretty similarly to trade unions but how, how do y'all do that if some you know somebody joins the union how can they expect to get a job like how does that process work
4: well there. I'll start since I'm the organizers local I'll start Bob by mainly the guys i deal with the guy comes to me he's got uh, enough experience to go out into journeyman rate. we'll send him over and get him a weld test or uh give him a written test just to kind of check what he knows to make sure that uh if there's any gaps that we can fill in those gaps before he gets on the job and uh he we send him to work when he gets laid off he signs out of work list, and he's usually like right now he may be turned around the next day going on another job you know it's uh usually most people are not off a week and you know, when I got in, I think we talked about this before. My dad said, you're an idiot. You're going to be broke and laid off all the time. And I think I made almost twice what he made the first year. But I, I was <laughs> nice. never off work. It was, uh, there was always somewhere to go. And there's all, there's always been somewhere to go. And it's the same. Uh, you know, if, if you're a good hand, um, you know, you won't have to hunt a job, a job will hunt you. It's the same way. Right, right.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and so the, uh, so, yeah, you know, you sign up, you, you, you become a member uh, of the union. And then just like Bob was talking about, you know, there are jobs and, and you know, you get called get called for jobs. Uh, and, and sometimes you might work there for a few months, sometimes maybe for a few years. And there's and, and one of the things that I really like about the, the trade unions is that because they're international, like you said, there's always work somewhere. There's always sure. work somewhere. And so if you're willing to travel You don't you're never you're you never have to worry about being out of work. I talked to a pipe fitter uh, a couple of years ago about how he made like two hundred fifty thousand dollars working a job in California in one year. Um, You know, so there's always work somewhere. And because the trade unions are are international organizations, they can they can set you up if if work maybe dries up a little bit in your local area. They can set you up with a job somewhere else if you're willing to relocate.
4: Not only that, we've had guys whose spouses like moved to Huntsville for whether it be like a job in the medical field or, uh, you know, uh, something with uh, defense and to be an iron worker from another state way off, they come here and it's the transfer process is extremely easy. So then I mean, they can uproot where they're at, move here, and then they, they're still iron worker here. All their money still going to the, to a pension. So it's, uh, it's, it's nice. It's nice to have that luxury.
2: Yeah. Absolutely, and so what are the what kind of work have y'all gotten going on in Huntsville? What are what are the projects that the the Ironworkers Local Four Seventy Seven is working on here? Not not just in Huntsville, but in North Alabama.
4: Well, uh, we're doing the structural, the precast, and the glass or glazing work at the FBI project at Redstone Arsenal. We did the uh, test stand for Blue Origin, the, the demo, and rebuild it at uh, redstone arsenal we did the toyota mazda project we've got facebook data center going we're on the second or third phase of it we've got a contractor that's already been awarded the next phase of it uh, we've got a motor plant expansion coming up at toyota we've got a simple cycle three unit simple cycle going on at carver steam plant right now we've got burkett Counts Tennessee at the paper mill. Uh, we keep a lot of work with TVA. We've got a Brownsbury outage, nuclear outage winding up right now. Um, and we're covered up with work.
2: Yeah, you said that y'all have, um, like, basically every single member is out on a job somewhere, 100% employment basically, right?
4: Yeah. If they're not working, it's because they're, they're at home drawing unemployment and they don't want to go to work. It's uh, A lot of these guys will work out of state and get a um uh, Get a good um, unemployment check coming in four or five hundred dollars a week, and uh, they'll kick mm. back and take off for a few months and try all their pennies.
2: Right, right, right. And I mean that's that's pretty good being able to, to go to work if you're uh, uh, if you got the job. I mean that's that is um, that's that's a good good problem to have. Um, having all those having all those jobs uh, available what exactly are y'all doing on these jobs like give us an average day of like an iron worker at the facebook site
4: uh we've got guys from sticking bolts bolting up the iron uh, plumbing the iron you know like uh, making sure everything's plumbed straight uh we've got connectors that are hanging the iron we've got a decking crew. a hair steels up there slinging decking uh shooting nelson studs it's uh and that, that's a structural job. You know, we've got guys that are at Browns Ferry that's been welding, you know, just, for, you know, nonstop welding. We've got, uh, we had an outage just finished up or what's still going at Castillium. It's uh, on a furnace, a lot of welding. It's, uh, there's so many different facets of iron work, whether it's tying rods or structural jobs or glass work or ornamental. Um, people can figure out what they like to do and, and kind of chase that type of work or they can do a little bit of different here and there, here and there. So you, you know, you don't, you don't get tired of doing one thing there's a lot of diversity in what we do
2: right
0: right that's really cool
2: and so why are y'all getting all this work you know you mentioned that there's open shop contractors there's non-union contractors out here that that they could get this work theoretically but y'all are y'all are getting all this work why is that
4: well, the number one reason we're getting all this work is because our members, they go out, they do the job. They take a lot of pride in what they do. One of the biggest differences I noticed, I worked on union for a while before I got in the union and, uh, I kind of feel like I always had pride in what I do, but, um, there's a different sense of pride when you do it or when I'm doing it through the union, because I understand that I'm not representing just myself, but I'm representing everybody, the people that came before me, the the people that took time out of their day to teach me a better way, a easier way, a safer way to do it, a faster way to do it, um, so it's and that's why our that's where our members are at they uh, they take a lot of pride in what they do um, they're gonna go to work and do the best job that they can they you know they look ahead it's it's uh it's a culture it's it's the best way I can put it it's a whole different culture
2: and y'all's safety ratings are really really good too you know the in, in the in the commercial that that y'all sent me to read you mentioned the EMR and TRIR ratings talk to us about the the safety ratings um, and, and the the increased focus on safety that y'all have maybe as opposed to non-union contractors.
4: If uh, we definitely have a huge focus on, uh, on safety. Um, and that, you know, that, that's, that was kind of our, uh, that's our go-to. That's you know that's one of the biggest reasons to hire our guys is because there's so much emphasis on safety. I mean, I've got OSHA 10, I've got OSHA 30, I've got OSHA 510, I've got OSHA 500. I can teach the 10 or the 30. Um, all those classes are available to any of our members. You know, it's not, uh, it's the sky's the limit. It's however far you want to go. You know, that's, uh, and it's like safety, safety culture has been extremely strong since I got here. You know, it's, uh, Hmm. but I don't think any contractor goes to work in the morning and says, Hey, let's see if we can hurt somebody today. You know, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's nobody's MO for sure. But being able to, um, have, have guys looking out for one another, uh, and understand that if this contractor gets a bad safety rating, they're not going to be able to bid on the next job and, so we we take care of our local contractors big time on that because we want them to be able to bid the next job. We like working for them, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, apprenticeships. Apprenticeships. When when is the next round? When when does the next round of, of the apprenticeship program start? What are the kind of people that y'all take? And and when do applications need to be in?
4: We take everybody. We uh <clears throat> we we take anybody that wants to come. You got to have a high school diploma or a GED. We take applications year round. Um see the next class they usually do interviews in august and the class usually starts in september It's a three-year program first year usually goes at night two nights a week uh, second year and third year go four weeks a year they'll go they've been going let's see thursday friday saturday sunday and monday so that way that way you still get a good check both weeks and uh, it works out good for everybody
2: there you go. And, uh, and and where do they apply if, if they're interested in being an apprentice?
4: They can apply at our local or at our training center in Sheffield, Alabama.
2: And what if a listener is a journeyman-level iron worker? They've been doing this for a while, but they're non-union, and they're interested in, uh, in, in maybe getting on with 477. What do they need to do?
4: And get in the car and be at the office Monday morning. That's, uh, <laughs> of the Lord. We're, uh, we're literally that covered up.
2: Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Eddie, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for talking to us,
4: Jacob again. And as always, thank you again for having us on and we appreciate what you do. Thank you. Thank you.
2: We've been talking to Eddie Mitchell. Eddie Mitchell is the business representative for the Iron Workers Local 477 about some of the things that the Biden administration has done for trade workers um, and some of the stuff that they've got going on locally. I mean, they are covered up with work. You heard all the projects that they've got going on. I mean, Facebook, Blue Origin, FBI, Colbert Steam Plant, Parking Decks downtown Huntsville. Uh, the uh, There's a bank in Athens, Toyota Mazda, all sorts of projects they've got folks on. Um and so you heard him, uh uh if you're interested in joining as an apprentice or as a journeyman level iron worker, get in touch with them. Google Iron Workers Local 477 and be at their office uh tomorrow. Give them a call and they'll put you to work. They'll put you to work. Uh so if you miss any part of the program, you can obviously find us online. We're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to the full show there or catch clips that interests you. All you got to do is search for The Valley Labor Report. We're going to take a break really quick, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about the real Republican agenda on taxation. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss it. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. They have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and... They secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about their work advocating for customers and to join the fight, go to energyalabama.org.
1: There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with ibw 558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW 558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at ibw558.org.
2: The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855 617 Nine three three three. Let Maples Tucker and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number eight five five six one seven nine three three three. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or Alabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Hometown Action is a proud sponsor of the Valley Labor Report, and we're here to help keep you in the loop on the assault on your right to protest, picket, and peaceably assemble in Alabama. The anti-protest bill is back this year, and it's as bad as ever. There is huge interest in building worker power and increasing unionization in Alabama that has corporations scared. Don't let their influence on our state legislators become another tool to arrest striking workers and union supporters. This racist bill is especially problematic for black organizers and unnecessarily gives law enforcement broad discretion to define even small, peaceful gatherings as a riot. Tell your Alabama legislators to say no to House Bill 2. We've set up an easy way for you to do that. You can go to hmtn.link slash hb2 where you'll find more information and an email template you can use right from your smartphone that link is h m t n dot link slash h b two you'll also find more info
1: on social media at hometown action Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO.
2: Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info.
0: Come on, you poor workers, good news to you. I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell.
2: Alabama's only Union Talk Radio Show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison and my co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, give us a call. Our phone line is open. The number is 844-899-TVLR. 844-899-8857. And if you listen to the program as a podcast, you can leave us a voicemail anytime at the same number. So, this was just absolutely astounding to me astounding republicans love to say they love to say that they hate taxes right they couch it in support for the middle class super super scare quotes there whatever that's supposed to The middle class that's not even a real thing but we know that's bunk right of course we know that's bunk um, we know the theory that hating taxation is bunk because the entire history of the Republican Party, okay, because of the entire history of the Republican Party, we've always been sold on this idea that if we only cut taxes for the wealthy, it's going to trickle down onto us and we are going to benefit by rich people having more money in their banks somehow. But we know that because because as the United States has decreased our taxation on the wealthy, wages and productivity have decoupled. Before... I mean, back in the 50s, everybody talks about, oh, the 50s was this golden age for the American quote-unquote middle class, you know. The 50s, the top marginal tax rate, the top marginal tax rate was 94%. What is the top marginal tax rate? The top marginal tax rate of 94% meant that for all income that you made over, uh, it was Four hundred thousand dollars, I think. Everything that you made over four hundred thousand dollars was taxed at ninety four percent. Of course, there are loopholes and there are tax breaks, um, and and so very few people actually paid a top marginal tax tax rate of ninety four percent. Right, but but it was higher than it is now. Of course, obviously, and if you made two, uh, if you made four hundred thousand dollars, that didn't mean that the rest of your income was taxed at ninety four. It's just everything that over. 400000 okay? That's what marginal taxes are. You've got these tax brackets. That's how that's done. Starting in the 50s and 60s, JFK, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, uh, Bill Clinton, George Bush, all these people, they cut taxes. All these people cut taxes. And every time they cut taxes, they told us, they told us it was going to be good for us. It was going to be good for there were two things that they did. They would say, "One, what I'm actually what I'm doing is cutting your taxes. Uh young uh, a poor person, working person, I'm actually cutting your taxes in addition to cutting the wealthy's taxes." But not only are you going to benefit from your taxes being cut, working person, you're going to benefit from the wealthy person's taxes being cut because all of this money that they have now in their bank account is going to trickle down to you, okay? So we've got now, like, 70 years of this. Like, 70 years of this experiment has been run in the United States, and it is clearly, clearly it has not worked. Giving rich people more money has not helped working people. It's clear. Wages have stagnated. The income and wealth, income and wealth in this country, as a percentage, is going more to the wealthy than it ever has, while working people's wages have stagnated. While working people work longer hours, where while working people have lost our pensions, where working people have lost good health care. Okay, so it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But if you needed more evidence. That the Republican Party is full of crap on this issue? Here's two issues from literally last week. Just last week, in the last five days. In the last five days. In Alabama, state Senate Republicans passed a business tax cut. They passed a tax cut for the bosses. Can you imagine passing a tax cut for bosses in the year of our Lord, 2022, before they addressed the grocery tax. We still pay taxes for groceries in Alabama. We still pay taxes for groceries in Alabama. We are one of the only states in the union, one of the only states in this great country to still tax groceries. To still tax groceries, which is a regressive tax because it's a sales tax. We talked about this last week, how sales taxes disproportionately affect poor and working people. And they have not cut this tax. We still have a grocery tax in Alabama. And instead of addressing that, instead of moving forward on cutting and eliminating the grocery tax and replacing that lost revenue with eliminating the federal income tax deduction, which primarily benefits wealthy Alabamians, instead of doing that, Alabama state Senate Republicans have once again, once again passed a tax cut for bosses that is going to amount to $23 million in lost revenue for the state of Alabama just last week. But it's going to benefit you. That's what they're going to tell you. That's what they're going to tell you. In D.C., this is even worse. In D.C., the Senate Republicans have proposed to literally raise taxes on the poor. Senator Rick Scott from Florida put forward a proposal that's backed by other Senate Republicans that would hike annual taxes on the poorest 40% of people in the United States by $1,000 on average. By $1,000 on average. That means some people in the poorest 40% are going to pay more than $1,000 more than they're already paying in taxes, under. U.S. Senator Republican Rick Scott's proposal. Why would he do this? Why would he do this? What's his reasoning? His reasoning is, quote, that he doesn't think poor people have enough, quote, skin in the game. This is, this is his words. This is the platform of the Republican Party. In Alabama... In Florida and across the country, this is their priorities. They want to decrease tax liabilities. And his, and his, his uh, uh, Rick Scott's tax proposal would not raise taxes on the richest 1% by a single penny. Of course not. He thinks that poor people don't have enough skin in the game. He thinks that poor people don't have enough skin in the game. This is the platform of the Republican party in Alabama and Florida and across the country. They want to decrease the tax liabilities of wealthy people, of bosses, of their donors. And they want to literally increase the tax liability on working people by a thousand dollars a year on average. On average. That's insane. How do they justify this?
0: Take money from those who least, you know, with the least amount of money, while those with the most amount of money get to protect it. get to hide it, get to, you know, basically decouple from the public good.
2: It is literal reverse Robin Hood here.
0: Right. I mean, good grief. And, you know. We've talked we talked about that a little bit last week with the quality of life in Alabama and just some of the appalling statistics out there about our quality of life. And it is 100 percent connected to this broken taxation system where, like I said, those with with the least amount of money are the ones who are being punished. Right. The ones who actually do the work that creates the wealth of our economy.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Because without labor, there is no economy. And so – and we see the way tax incentives and loopholes and subsidies and write-offs are also geared towards these very same businesses and these very same capitalists so that they can be profitable. It's using the public's treasury and the public's resources to subsidize private profit while at the same time we're going to increase the amount of taxes that working people have, that poor people have. It's, you know, it's right. It's just disgusting.
2: We're either we're either going to literally increase it or we're not going to work towards decreasing the the um, the hit that working people feel from taxes, whether that be from by increasing their wages or by cutting. You know, I mean, because there's a reason, right? There's a reason that this tax cut for the bosses that passed the state senate in alabama last week there's a reason that that's higher on the priority list than eliminating the grocery tax right there's a reason it's because the people that are hurt by the grocery tax aren't writing hundred thousand dollar checks to these people's campaigns
0: right it shows the priorities it shows the priorities of and you look at their budgets you look at their tax cuts and the legislation that passes through, it's a reflection of their priorities. And the vast majority of us are not represented. I mean, it—it it is it is truly, truly, um, I mean. And just last week was uh, the grocery tax or this past week on Tuesday was the grocery tax rally by Alabama Rise. So it's not like, you know, right. they would like have to come are up talking with something. About people and there are, are some Republicans.
2: There are some Republicans that will say that they support eliminating the grocery tax. But still, you can say whatever you want. You can actions speak louder than words. and right. Actions are more revelatory of your actual priorities than are your words like if you're in office and you're talking to me about how i support eliminating the grocery tax i su- like i don't care what do it do it and 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 if because there are state senate republicans that say they support eliminating the grocery tax what they should have done because obviously Obviously, eliminating the state grocery tax is going to benefit more Alabamians than yet another tax cut for the bosses. Obviously, and this isn't even to say that you should or shouldn't pass this tax cut for the bosses. Like that's not that's not even what I'm talking about. I don't think you should, but. Let's just set that, whether it should happen or not, to the side. There's an issue of priorities. And if these people actually supported eliminating the grocery tax, what they could have done if they wanted to posture or or actually do something for working people in Alabama, they could have said, I will not support one more tax cut. I will not support one more tax cut until I pass this tax that is going to help working people. That is my first priority, and my voting record is going to reflect that. I will hold up everything else in this chamber until that's related to taxation until we eliminate the grocery tax. That's something they could have done.
0: Yeah, and it's a state senator, a Republican state senator, Andrew Jones, who is carrying the legislation, uh, backed by a rise because it would remove the grocery sales tax, which would greatly benefit the majority of Alabamians, And it replaces that revenue so that our schools don't take a hit because our schools are already underfunded as it is. So, you know, it it addresses that. It's on the table. It could easily be done. And that's why we need uh, representation that looks at the economy from the bottom up as opposed to the top down.
2: But even this fellow that introduced who's a Republican who introduced this bill in the Senate, presumably he voted for this tax cut for the bosses. And so, like. There's still an issue there, even of his part, right. even of the guy who is who is proposing this legislation. He's not taking it as seriously as he should be. He is not mobilizing. He, he's not going on the offensive against folks who are not uh, working towards passing this this tax cut for working people. I mean, it's just so frustrating. So, you know, don't be fooled by the things that they're saying. But anyway, we're about out of time here on the radio. As we're wrapping up, let's do a couple of plugs. You can leave us a voicemail, 844-899-TVLR. We've got a new hat. We placed the order last week, but you can uh, still get yours because we ordered some extra. You can go to our website, tvlr.fm. That is it for us on the radio. You can find us online and stay tuned for Overtime. We're talking to Luis Leon as a labor reporter about the Bamazon campaign. We are talking about gas taxes, because we di- uh, uh, the gas prices, because we didn't get to that, and more. So you don't want to miss it. All power to the workers.
4: You'll find overtime in your podcast feed on Thursday.